I usually begin my mornings with a time of prayer, devotions, cup of coffee, and then I tend to open my news feed and see what's happening in the world. This morning, as I was scrolling through my news feed, I came across a story yesterday in Los Angeles, a mob of 30 looters ransacked a Nordstrom's department store, running out with thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise. We see stories like this on the news all the time. We recognize that we are living today in a pervasive culture of theft. This, this week, as I was preparing to study for our series in the Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, I, I just thought, you know, I, it might just be an interesting project. Let's take a look at the, the internet. Let's look at the news over the next few days. And so between Monday and Thursday of this week, I basically started keeping track of stories on the news related to theft, related to stealing. I came across stories like these. Amid a surge in crime in Oakland, California police have advised residents to use air horns to alert neighbors to intruders and add security bars to their doors and windows. Other articles. Minneapolis auto thefts passed 5,000 mark for 2023. Motorcycle theft rises for the third straight year. Senator Lankford, our national debt is now skyrocketing past $32.6 trillion. Congress keeps ignoring the tough decisions that are needed to stop our debt from continuing to spiral out of control. Friends, it's not just thieves that steal. Even our elected officials make choices that rob future generations of their wealth. Meanwhile, Fitch downgraded U.S. credit rating today as the national debt quickly approaches $33 trillion. Credit card debt tops $1 trillion for the first time. A huge test is coming for cardholders. Uh, how many of those $1 trillion debtors are intending to pay those debts back? You shall not steal, the Bible says. Kansas police officer dies from injuries day after being shot while responding to car theft. Again, these are all just stories from three days this week. It goes on. How can mail-in voting be secure when postal theft is rampant? Other stories. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson minimizes mass looting over the weekend. He scolds reporter for using the term mob, says we should instead call them large gatherings. <laughs> Friends, this is a large gathering. All right, running into a department store with hundreds of people and stealing thousands of dollars of merchandise is not a large gathering, okay? Business owner in Oakland shows the dozens of incident reports he has filed every time his store has been robbed this year. Shoplifting surging across America with dangerous and costly consequences. Again, this is, this, this is a three-day period this week. A three-day period I was collecting these headlines. We see other stories. Vanderbilt University recently did a, a research survey. Research examines the cost of crime in the United States estimated to be $2.6 trillion in a single year. This one interesting story. Swiss Museum cashier pockets over $1 million in years-long scam. Florence woman in Cincinnati, in Kentucky. Florence woman admits lending SUV for robbery in which man was killed for just six dollars. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. 
New York Times columnist bemoans sad atmosphere in San Francisco amid surge in crime. We are all paying the price. They're literally locking up the refrigerators in Walgreens now to keep people from stealing. This, this story caught my attention, hit a little too close to home. Pastor ran theft ring that stole at least $1.4 million from Home Depot, Florida officials say. Um, yeah, I, just so you know, I, I'm not running any theft rings here locally, but it's sad when even pastors get involved in these things. Speaking of pastors, we just sent a pastor to Cannon City this week. Um, I thought it was interesting, just the day after Pastor Stephen leaves, I come across this article. Cannon City Police, man issued summons for second-degree burglary, first-degree aggravated motor vehicle theft. Now, I hope that's just a coincidence. <laughs> That, that right on the heels of Pastor Stephen moving to Cannon City, right? But uh, as Jeff said earlier, hopefully Pastor Stephen can help turn that culture around a little bit in the coming years. Forbes this week, Americans spend over $20 billion annually on security devices and home security systems to protect themselves and their property. It's big business. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, home security, we're going to get a guard dog. If you get a guard dog, let me recommend you don't get a golden retriever. <laughs> golden retriever befriends electric bike thief, stopping him for belly rubs and cuddles. Did you see this story on the news? This guy breaks into the garage, and the family golden retriever comes out there wagging his tail and rolling down. The guy's like literally rubbing the dog's belly as he's stealing them blind. <laughs> Dad jokes, I never wanted to believe that my dad was stealing from his job as a road worker, but when I got home, all the signs were there. <laughs> I love that one, that's so good. Friends, we live in a pervasive culture of theft. Again, this was just three days of headlines this past week. We see this every single day on the news, a culture where theft is pervasive. And the sad reality is, friends, when a culture lives in, in, with this pervasive amount of theft, it's not just theft that becomes pervasive, but insecurity becomes pervasive. Because where there is theft, there is no security. And where there is no security, there is no trust. And where there is no trust, relationships become broken and fractured and people begin to live in despair and hopelessness. And we see this culture of theft and despair growing rapidly here in the United States. And it's for this very reason, friends, that God gave his people the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment, which we're going to study this morning, Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. If you recall in recent weeks, we've been looking at these Ten Commandments, the Ten Great Freedoms. I call them the Ten Great Freedoms because the reality is, is when we honor God's law, his moral law, it, it leads to great freedom. It leads to great flourishing. I mean, imagine a culture where people honored the, ten, the Eighth Commandment where we didn't have to fear locking our doors at night, where we didn't have to fear somebody was going to break into our car, where we didn't have to fear somebody was going to kidnap our kids. A culture that follows God's moral law is a culture of great freedom. And we've seen this all throughout our study of the Ten Commandments. Remember the, the two tables of the law, our vertical obligations to God, our horizontal obligations to our fellow men and women. And here in the Eighth Commandment, we see another one of these obligations. You shall not steal. 
it's one of the shortest of the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's, uh, it's tied with you shall not murder as being the two shortest of the Ten Commandments. In the Hebrew, it's just two words. Two words, the negative, lo, and ganaf, which means to steal. Two words in Hebrew. Don't steal. Now, again, this seems like a simple command, right? I shared again with my family. Dad, what are you preaching on this week? Well, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Addie, right away, what are you going to say about that, right? Pretty simple and straightforward, and we would think so. But again, it's not that simple and straightforward because this is a command with broad application. And that's one of the reasons why God gave this command in such general terms because it applies so broadly. It applies so broadly. We're going to see that this morning. The Bible applies this command to things like kidnapping and theft and robbery and cheating and property damage and extortion and paying fair wages to a laborer. All kinds of applications in Scripture. But the essence, the essence of this eighth command is simply this. God is calling us here to refrain from anything that would deprive our neighbor of what rightly belongs to them. That's what this command is all about. Refraining from any activity that would deprive our neighbor of what rightly belongs to them. Now this week I came across an interesting survey. George Barna, who does a lot of surveys of Christian culture and our culture here in the United States, he did a survey of Christians in America recently and he discovered that over 90%, basically 90% of regular church-going Christians in America say that they never violate the Eighth Commandment. Now, I first read that, I'm thinking, wow, that, that's pretty encouraging, right? I mean, that sounds good. Nine out of ten of us, we, we never steal. We're doing pretty good. But then I started thinking about that. And I wonder, friends, if it's not so much that we are keeping this command so faithfully and consistently, or if it's really the case that we fail to recognize just how broadly God applies this command to our lives. And maybe we're bigger thieves than we realize. You start thinking through all of the various categories of theft to which this command applies. You have overt theft, right? And this is what we generally think, generally think about, right? Like we think, well, I'm doing pretty good. I don't break the Eighth Commandment. I've never robbed any banks. At least I hope none of you have ever robbed any banks, if you have, we have a number of law enforcement friends here in our congregation who I'm sure would love to talk to you following the service. But, but you know, when we think of thou shall not steal, we normally think of things like overt theft, breaking and entering, robbery by force, shoplifting, hijacking, counterfeiting, counterfeiting, taking things from a private property, right? Have you ever borrowed a towel from the hotel you've been staying at and it just happens to find its way into your suitcase and back home, right? God says you shall not steal, Overt theft. There's, there's other categories of theft, like covert theft, underreporting our income, making false or inflated insurance claims, pirating TV shows, movies, music. Any of you ever guilty of that? Right? We're going to be talking about you shall not lie in two weeks. Okay? <laughs> How about plagiarism? Or cheating on homework or exams? 
right? Young people here, when you go back to school, cheating is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. It's taking from somebody else what doesn't belong to you and applying it to yourself. How about using copyrighted material inappropriately? There's all kinds of things that we consider covert theft. There's other categories, categories like fraud. Fraud is when we cheat others. For example, there are practices today in our culture like identity theft. I had that happen to me recently where somebody skimmed my credit card at a restaurant most likely. A few days later, I discovered all these medical charges and random charges down in Austin, Texas. I was up here in the Twin Cities and somebody's using my name and my credit card down in Austin, Texas. It was a big hassle, right? There's practices like elder fraud, taking advantage of the elderly in our culture. Ponzi schemes, failing to abide by a contract, voter fraud, borrowing without intent to repay. These are all examples of fraud, friends. You have practices like workplace theft, conducting personal business on the clock. Are any of you ever guilty of that one? You're stealing from company time, right? Taking work supplies, taking things from work and bringing them home to use for your personal benefit, abusing an expense account, not paying an employee a fair wage, charging more than something's worth, false advertising, embezzlement, stealing from your company, laziness, prolonged breaks, leaving early. I know none of us are guilty of any of those things, right? But these are all examples of you shall not steal. And then we have categories like government theft. We could do a whole year-long series just on this one. All right, influence peddling, denying justice, excessive taxation, frivolous spending. We all heard the stories a few years ago, the $10,000 toilet seats the Pentagon was charging to the U.S. taxpayers, right? Frivolous spending, deficit spending, inflation, the national debt approaching $33 trillion. Friends, all of those things are robbing from our future generations. That's theft, and it's not just the politicians. We're the ones voting for these people. We, the people, bear some responsibility in this. You have categories like relational theft, withholding love and affection, or neglect, abuse, gossip, slander, stealing from another person's reputation, failure to discipline your kids. You're robbing them of learning responsibility and becoming upright citizens, abandoning abandonment. We could talk about Pastor Stephen's message last week, adultery, stealing another person's spouse, right? There's other categories like spiritual theft, robbing God. How do we rob God? Malachi 3.8 talks about robbing God by not giving him our tithes and offerings. You can rob God by not giving back to the Lord from what he has blessed you with. It's very interesting. This week I read a statistic. One out of four regular churchgoers in America today don't give anything to their churches. 25%. Only 20% of regular churchgoers tithe on a regular basis. Friends, we're robbing God when we do that. All right? And look at if you're going to walk away and claim like, hey, all these pastors ever talk about is money, number one, we hardly ever talk about money here at Lakes Free. But number two, we have to talk about it because it's a spiritual heart issue. 
Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we can rob God. We can rob God by not using our spiritual gifts. Every single one of you who's a follower of Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift to bless the church, to use in service of the church, to use in service of the Great Commission. If you're not using your spiritual gift, friends, you're robbing God. We can fail to serve others. We talked about neglecting the Sabbath a few weeks ago, robbing God of the worship that's due him. We could talk about lack of zeal for the Great Commission. These are all ways that we steal from the Lord what is rightly his. Oh, we're doing pretty good. You know, 90% of us, we never steal. Friends, I think if we're being honest about it and we start looking at how broadly this command applies, we have to recognize that we might have a bigger problem on our hands than we'd like to admit. It's very interesting. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this about the human condition. He said, if we look at mankind and all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. I think we have to admit he's not wrong, is he? A vast, wide stable full of great thieves. Yes, friends, the reality is God's moral law matters. And one of the most obvious places we see this is in the Eighth Commandment. Societies that live by God's law flourish, knowing freedom and blessing, and societies that neglect God's moral law always end up descending into chaos, despair, and ruin. Remember, friends, we're a culture of theft is pervasive. A culture of insecurity is also pervasive. So how can we honor this eighth commandment? How can we experience the freedom from insecurity that God desires for us in keeping this eighth commandment? Well, I want to suggest three ways this morning. Three ways each rooted in the counsel of God's word. Three ways that we can experience freedom from insecurity. The first is this. Number one, to experience freedom from insecurity, we need to trust God's providential sovereignty. We need to trust God's providential sovereignty. What does that mean? Providential sovereignty speaks to God's wise and purposeful sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is all-powerful. He is all, all, uh, all uh, in control of all things. And in his sovereignty, he is wise and purposeful. That's what providential means. Providence is an interesting word. It's Latin in origin. And it comes from, from two roots in the Latin. It comes from the word pro, which means beforehand, and videre, which means to see. So in other words, when we speak of God's providence, what we're talking about is the God who sees the future beforehand. And not only does this God see the future beforehand, but he then provides for the future that only he can see. That's what we're talking about when we talk about God's providential sovereignty. That God provides for the future that only he can see. Isn't that good news, friends? We don't have to live with insecurity about the future. About are we going to make it? Is God going to be faithful? Is he going to provide? No, God says that he is a providentially faithful God. He provides for us 
beforehand from the future that only he can see. We have passages in Scripture, great promises like Ephesians 1.11 that speak to the reality that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is one of the most incredible statements in the Bible. Because if this is true, what this means, friends, is that we can trust that there is absolutely nothing that happens in our lives that isn't first father filtered. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then we see promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, God was speaking that specifically to the prophet Jeremiah, but in light of what we know of Scripture, that promise applies to all of God's children. He works all things in our lives according to the counsel of his will. Why? For our ultimate good and for his glory. That's what God means when he says, I do all these things for welfare and to give you a future and a hope. We have great promises like Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And then, of course, we have the famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are a providentially sovereign God, David is saying here. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, do you know the good shepherd? Are you walking in trust with the good shepherd? Do you believe that these promises are true for your life? They are absolutely true. And friends, when we know the good shepherd... We don't need to be insecure about our future. And we don't need to steal from others to seek to provide security for today when we know that there is a God who is providentially sovereign over all of our days. You see, when we steal, what we're essentially saying is is we don't trust God enough to provide for our daily needs. That's what theft is ultimately. It's lacking trust in God's providential sovereignty. But God is always faithful. He always provides for his people. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I, we came home, our family came home from a a weekend vacation, and uh, we had to get to a wedding, and so we got home early on Saturday afternoon, and we got into our house, and we discovered that our refrigerator had completely blanked out on us. It was done. And uh, all of our stuff had dethawed, and it was just a, it was a big mess, and we were racing to get ready to get out the door for this wedding, and it was just a huge hassle. Now, this is Saturday. The next morning, I'm supposed to come to church, and it was my Sunday that I generally give my tie to the church, and I'm thinking to myself, man, we got about $1,000 expense on our hands here this week, buying a new refrigerator. And I started thinking, you know, I should sure use that offering money to put to this refrigerator this week. And I remember having this moral wrestling in my soul about, 
you know, God, can I, can I keep this? I'm gonna need this for my refrigerator. And I just felt convicted that the Lord was saying, Jason, trust me, trust me. And I remember the next morning I, I gave that tithe to the church and I remember just praying. I said, Lord, I, didn't, I don't know how we're gonna pay for this new refrigerator this week, but I'm gonna trust you, Jesus. Monday afternoon, I opened my mailbox. There was an envelope in my mailbox. I opened it up. It had a cashier's check in it for $1,000 with an anonymous note that just said, this is for your refrigerator. <laughs> to this day, I don't know where that money came from. But God said, Jason, I'm going to provide. And I could tell you stories after story of God's faithful providence just like that. Not only in my life, but in the lives of so many others. Oh, yes, he is our shepherd, and we can trust him. And so, friends, when it comes to God's faithfulness, we need to remember that he knows our needs, and he promises to provide for us in them. And because of that, theft is never the answer for those who know and trust in God's providential sovereignty. Instead, we need to set our hope on the Lord and continue to trust in him because he will provide. He will be faithful. Secondly, this morning, freedom from insecurity comes when we respect our neighbor's property. When we respect our neighbor's property. I've shared over the years, you guys know, usually uh, in November each year, I've been teaching out in uh, Maui for Youth with a Mission. By the way, we need to keep our friends in Maui in our prayers after the devastating fires there this past week. I just got an email this morning from my friend Tom Oster, who's the, the YWAM director there, and their teams have already been uh, working with uh, the local churches and relief agencies there in Lahaina, but it's just mass devastation like you can't even imagine. So we need to be in prayer for those friends. We may even provide some links here this next week, ways that we can financially support the, the relief efforts there. But I've had the privilege of going and teaching there for Youth with a Mission each, uh, each fall. And a few years ago, we were meeting our friends, the Osterhus family, uh, for dinner at the, at the mall in, in uh, Kahului there in Maui. And uh, we had a great dinner at a little hamburger joint there. And we came out to the parking lot in the mall, and I noticed that our trunk of our rental car was open. Well, we were having dinner right before we were to go to the airport for our flight home that very evening. And I noticed our trunk was open, and so I go running over, and most of our luggage appeared to still be intact in the trunk, but then I noticed that the side doors were all open. And I looked over at Kim, and I said, did we leave anything in the car? Well, Kim had left her $1,000 Nikon camera in the front seat of the car, under the seat. Camera's gone. Well, as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, these two Hawaiian guys come up, and they were plainclothes police officers, and they said, they said, hey, we, we think you probably just interrupted this crime because obviously, like, they left the majority of your stuff. And, and uh, it, was just, it, was just a, it was just a horrible experience, though, because there was no way we're getting this camera back. We're, you know, we, we're down 1000 bucks. you know, this camera that I bought Kim for our anniversary a few years earlier. I mean, and uh, it was just a horrible experience. If any of you have ever been robbed, you know what that feels like. It's just, it's a violation. And, and it's not just that they, they robbed us of this, this camera, but they robbed us of our joy. Like, there's, a, there's like a part of us now that, like, 
every time we go back there, there's this sense of insecurity that we feel. We haven't been back to that mall or restaurant in probably five years since that happened because of the scar of insecurity. Those of you who have experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It's a violation against our personhood. And it's why God has given us a moral duty to respect our neighbor's property. And respecting our neighbor's property begins with treating our neighbors with proper respect. And to truly respect our neighbor, we need to see them and treat them in light of God's word. What does God's word tell us about our neighbor? The first thing God tells us is Genesis 1.27. God reminds us that all human beings are created in the very image of God. We talked about this two weeks ago, the Imago Dei. Every single one of us bears the imprint of our creator on our soul. And so when we steal from another human being, we also are stealing in a sense from the creator, the God who imprinted his very likeness on their soul. Stealing a serious business according to the Lord. It's a violation against another person, but it's a violation against our creator God. And so instead of stealing, we're called, as Jesus tells us in the golden rule, we're called to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That's how we are to honor our neighbor. How would we want our neighbor to treat us? That is how we should in turn treat our neighbor. Not, not like this famous cover from the Saturday Evening Post, this, this cover picture here, right? This is not the golden rule. Okay, you got the butcher, butcher pushing down on the scale while the customer's pushing up from the bottom. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, friends, when we keep the golden rule, we are recognizing the dignity and worth in our neighbor. Paul expands on the golden rule in Romans 8, or I'm sorry, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul says, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Friends, respecting our neighbor's property begins when we honor the image of God in our neighbor When we follow the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And how does that express itself? It expresses itself in love. Seeking the betterment of another person. We try to love our neighbors with God's help. And in that we experience freedom from insecurity. The third way that we can experience freedom of insecurity is by honoring our responsibility. What responsibility are you talking about, Pastor Jason? I'm talking about our responsibility to be stewards of God's creation. You see, here we find the positive side of the Eighth Commandment. Friends, have you noticed that? All of these commands, they have a negative side and a positive side, right? Don't commit adultery, but love your spouse, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain, but honor the Lord in every area of your life, right? There's a positive and a negative side. When it comes to the eighth commandment, the negative side says do not steal, but the positive side says work 
and be productive. And again, here we need to look back to Genesis, to God's creative purposes for men and women. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created men and women. He put the image of God upon us. And then he gives us the mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, God goes on in this creational mandate. He says, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Friends, the eighth commandment isn't simply about stealing. It's also about stewardship. We are caretakers of God's world. Psalm 24.1 says, the world is the Lord's and everything in it. We are simply caretakers of it. And as such, we have a responsibility to honor our master's intentions for it. God didn't give us this world to use as we please, but to use what he's given for his glory. And one of the ways that we bring glory to God is by fruitful and productive work in this world. This is a theme that we find all throughout Scripture. God calls his people to fruitful and productive work. Not to laziness, not to idleness, but to productivity, to usefulness. Passages like Ephesians 4.28, the Apostle Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. That, That term there, honest work, can also be translated as something useful. Do something useful with your hands. Contribute to society. Hard work in the wrong direction isn't good, friends, right? You can be a hardworking drug dealer. That doesn't count. God says do something useful, honest work with your hands that you may have something to share with anyone in need. What does Paul say here? He gives us four commandments here. He says, number one, stop stealing. Number two, get to work. Number three, do something useful for humanity. And number four, live generously. Friends, this is our calling as men and women created in the image of God. This is our responsibility as stewards of God's creation to live faithfully in light of this call and responsibility is to truly honor God's intent for the eighth commandment. We do not steal. We work productively and we live with a spirit of generosity. And friends, just imagine the kind of security we could know in our world if people honored these commands. It would revolutionize everything. But friends, this issue of theft, as we saw earlier, it isn't just an issue out there. It's also an issue in here. And I want to ask you this morning, are you honoring the Eighth Commandment in your life today? Not just the the negative side, do not steal, but the positive side as well. Living productively, purposefully, giving generously. If you're not, Jesus says you've got a serious problem. The Lord says in Matthew 15, 19 through 20, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, Slander, these are what defile a person. 
Friends, failing to honor the eighth commandment is a sign that something isn't right in your heart. You're living in rebellion against God. And as a result, Jesus says you're defiled. Defiled means unclean, unfit to walk with God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, violating the eighth commandment is serious business. If you're a thief, if you're a swindler, if you're a slanderer of another's reputation, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because you're living in rebellion against your holy creator. But there's also good news for those of us who are thieves and swindlers here this morning. Because 1 Corinthians 6 continues, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, isn't that good news? The gospel tells us that Jesus can fix that defiled, unclean heart of yours. He can wash it white as snow. You can be justified. That means to be made right in the eyes of our creator God. You can be set on the path of sanctification, living a new life in Jesus Christ. All of this is possible for you today if you'll simply turn to Jesus in faith, confessing your sins, asking him to sit on the throne of your heart as Lord. And in doing that, he will empower you with his spirit to honor the eighth commandment and live righteously in trust in his sovereign providential care for your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and the guidance that you give us within it. And Lord, again today we see so clearly just how far short we fall of your holy and righteous standards. And today, once again, Jesus, we fall back on your amazing grace. And Jesus, we, we have no hope without you. And there might be somebody here this morning who hears this eighth commandment and realizes after everything we've shared this morning that they have been living in outright rebelling against you. Maybe not robbing banks, but maybe stealing in other ways. Stealing from their loved ones, stealing love that is due. Stealing from you, God, robbing you of what you are due. Stealing from others in, in different ways. And, and, and they acknowledge this morning in their heart that they are a defiled theft in need of forgiveness. And friends, if that's where you are this morning, if you will call out to Jesus and ask him to forgive you, he will do that. But it's not just about using Jesus for forgiveness, a, a token prayer of forgiveness. It's about saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want to repent and turn from my sin. And I want you to sit on the throne of my heart. And I want to stop living as a thief. I want to start living as somebody who lives in this world for a purpose to honor God and to live productively and to give generously and to honor you in all that I do. In spirit, I need your help to do that. And friends, if you'll call out to Jesus in that way, he will help you.
and he will set you on that path of sanctification. Jesus, I thank you that you've done that in my life. And I thank you for the ongoing work that you're doing in my heart in this area. And I pray, God, that you will do that for my brothers and sisters here as well. Help us to honor you in this way so that we can shine the light of truth and the light of hope into our culture of insecurity, showing them that there's a better way when we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, would you please stand for our benediction this morning? It comes from Revelation chapter 1. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you and have a great week.